If you have your Bible or a copy of God's Word, uh, particularly your bulletin, you could turn to the book of Proverbs. We have been studying Proverbs this spring, and uh, we've said this a few times, but the way Proverbs is structured, uh, and everyone is pretty much in agreement with this, that the book of Proverbs is best studied topically. And so what we've been doing this spring is pulling Proverbs from here or there and pulling on the same subject, pulling them together so that we can get a full-orbed or complete picture of what the Proverbs say about a particular topic. And so we've looked at friendship, we've looked at anger and decision-making and money, and this morning we're going to look and see what Proverbs has to say about our words and the way we talk. Outside of wisdom itself, the book of Proverbs talks more about words and speech than any other topic. The question maybe you're asking is, why is that? Well, because words have the power to make or break your life. Proverbs 13.3, whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. I don't know about you, but I need wisdom when it comes to using my words. And so this morning, we're going to look at the topic of wisdom and words. Follow along with me. I'll read uh, these passages. And again, it's easier to follow along on the screen or in your bulletin, and I'll read through these this morning. This is God's word. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. There is one whose rash words are like a sword thrust, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. The heart of the wise makes for his speech, makes his speech judicious and adds persuasiveness to his lips. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul, and health to the body. The words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. With patience, a ruler may be persuaded And a soft tongue will break a bone. This is God's word. Let me pray. Ask God to help us this morning. Let's pray together. Father, you know all the things that keep us up at night. You know all the secrets in this room that we've never told anyone. And you know the addictions that we can't shake and the loneliness that causes great pain, you know it all. And we're here this morning because we need a word from you. We're here this morning because we desperately need to hear from you. And so we're asking this morning that you would come through your spirit and that you would help us to see Jesus. Convict us and challenge us. But, Lord, I pray this morning that we would walk out, particularly as we deal with this topic of words that is convicting and challenging and will take us to our knees 
I pray that in the midst of this, you would help us to leave here with our eyes on you and not ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. Some of you might be familiar with the name Rocky Felker, uh, particularly if you're a football fan or a Mississippi State fan. Rocky Felker was the quarterback uh, for Mississippi State in the mid-1970s, and he coached there in the late 1980s. And when I was in Oxford uh, doing RUF, I got to know his son, David Felker, very well. And I'll never forget the story that David told me uh, about his father. David was an eighth grader playing eighth grade football. Uh, He was a cornerback, and they were playing their rivals uh, in a game, and you know anything about football, um, the cornerback position, it's a defensive position, and you are lined up man-to-man across from a wide receiver. And essentially, you are to guard them uh, and to keep them from catching the ball. And the SEC uh, cornerbacks make this look very easy, but it's probably one of the most difficult positions that you can play. Uh, It was towards the end of the game, and David's team was leading Uh, against their rival. The stadium was packed. People were excited. Lots of enthusiasm on the sideline. All they had to do is hang on. And it was just at that time when the wide receiver gets behind David and he's wide open in the end zone and the quarterback makes a perfect pass and the guy catches the ball and they lose the game right there at the end uh, of the game to their rival. I mean, can you imagine eighth grade? Your dad's a football star. Your dad knows football better than anyone. David's devastated. Essentially, it was on him. He's completely undone, doesn't want to see anyone. You've had these moments possibly growing up. You play athletics. And so he ran to a nearby gym, and it was, it was an away game, and so he ran, runs into the gym. He's the only one in the gym, and he's sitting on the bleachers, completely undone. His dad walks in, Rocky Felker. And again, out of all the things he could have said, you know, he could have said, why didn't you jam him at the line? Why didn't you give him more space so that he wouldn't get behind you? Why didn't you work harder in summer workouts? Out of all the things his father could have said, he uttered a five-word sentence. I love watching you play. The power of words. We live in a world of words. I don't know all of you super well, but I know one thing about you. You talk. We live in a world of words, and words have become so casual and so mundane and so ordinary in our world, Uh, and because of that, we tend to not think about our words. We tend to treat our words very carelessly. Well, the Bible doesn't consider words as something that is unimportant. In fact, the Bible does the complete opposite. Think about it. It assigns great value to our words. Genesis chapter 1, beginning of the Bible, God creates the world. How does he do it? With words. The first words that were ever spoken were not spoken by a human being. They were spoken by God. God said, let there be light. And there was light. God said, 
God said. One of the ways that we are human beings created in the image of God is that we talk. And that's why words are such a big deal. And if you're still not convinced, think about life. The most special moments in life and the saddest moment in life normally are around words. What do you wait for your newborn child to be able to do? To talk. And when they talk and say their first words, you get out the iPhone and you send it to everybody you know. What did they say? You want that recorded. But at the very same time, it's also what's sadder when a human being goes silent? What's more dehumanizing? If you talk to someone who's ever lost a loved one, you know what they remember? The day that their loved one quit talking. Words are a very important dimension of our lives. And words, as Martin said in our confession this morning, it's a something that is very hard for us to tame, and it's something that's very difficult for us. And so we need wisdom in order to use our words well. And so we're going to look at words this morning. How do we steward our words well? Well, three things. We need to understand the power of words. Secondly, we need to understand that words are revealing. And thirdly, we want to look at how our words are healed. And so powerful revealing and healing of our words this morning. So let's look at number one, our words are powerful. If we're going to be good stewards of our words, remember words don't belong to us, they belong to God. We think they belong to us. But if we're going to be good stewards of the words that God's given us, we've got to fully grasp the power of words. Look at Proverbs 15.4. You can notice that, make a note of that. I want to read Proverbs 18.21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. The late Eugene Peterson uh, has a translation called The Message, and listen to how he translated it. It's very clear. That same verse, he says, Words kill. Words give life. They're either poison or fruit you choose. So we see two things here about words and their power. First, words have the power to bring life. Look at Proverbs 16, 24. I love this. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Proverbs 25, 15. A soft word has the power to break a bone. Has the power to break a bone. And and we know this about our our words, but I think it's hard for us as, as the speaker, to realize how powerful our words are and how healing they are and how they bring life. But if you're on the receiving end of healing uh, words and life-giving words, it does something to the inside of you, doesn't it? Think about it. When you hear just the right word at just the right time and just the right voice from just the right person, what does that do to your soul? You have an extra pep in your step. You move out into the world in confidence. And we know this. What does it do to you when people look you in the eye and say, I love you? Or you're really beautiful? Or 
I love the way God made you. Or you're a great student. Or you're a really good mom. Or I am so proud of you. I'm in my mid-40s, and when my parents say they're proud of me, still, it does something to me. There's a pastor named Ray Cortez, and he tells this story about preaching his brother's funeral. And he said there's never been a day in his life when he's been more afraid than on that day. He said it was by far the hardest day of his life. And he said that after he finished the funeral, his mother came and found him. And his mother says, he comments and says, my mom could have been totally self-absorbed. She had just lost her son. She could have been totally absorbed in the moment. But she found me and pulled me close and got right up in my ear and said, you are so brave. You are so brave. And he says that uh, there have been moments uh, in his life since then that he's been deeply afraid and he's rallied because he can hear his mother whispering those voices of, you are so brave. And when he hears that, even though he's afraid and doesn't know if he can go forward, he thinks, maybe I can. If she thinks I'm brave, maybe I am brave. Words give life. And so my question for you this morning, where are you using your words to give life to other people? Where can you use your words today, this week, to give life to the people around you? But we also know that words have, not only do they have the power to heal, but they also have the power to kill and to destroy. Think about Genesis again, those early chapters. How did sin come into the world from the serpent, Satan? Through words, right? Remember, he, the serpent said to the woman, did God really say? Did God really say that? And so Satan twists the words of God in order to bring death rather than bring life. Look at Proverbs 18.8. And also, 12, 18, there is one whose rash words are like a sword thrust, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. And this is probably the most sobering proverb that I read this week. I mean, it is very, very strong. It says that words pierce like a sword. And so let's work that out. Words go into a person's heart. They go into a person's soul. And so think about a sword thrust. If someone stabs you with a sword and pulls it out, uh, can you be healed? You can get stitched up. You'll, You'll find healing. But at the same time, what? You'll always have a scar. There will always be a scar there. Uh, to show, because the scar will remain. That's the image. You see, words have a long shelf life, don't they? And we know this as well. Some of you can recall right now, uh, very vividly, 
painful things that have been said to you or about you as if they happened yesterday. You are ugly. You're overweight. You're an okay student. You're not athletic. You're uncoordinated. I'm sorry, but you didn't make the team. You're not good enough. You're fired. I'm leaving. I don't love you anymore. How do you talk to yourself? You know, no one talks to themselves more than you do. How's your self-talk? Some of you say things to yourself that you would never say to another person. What do you say to yourself when you look into the mirror? Words leave scars and they destroy. Kids, if you're a kid in this room this morning, listen. I know what it's like to be a kid, and I remember being a kid and not thinking that my words meant that much. And so I used my words very, very carelessly because I didn't know how powerful they were. And you hear these things, sticks and stones may break my bones, but what words will never hurt me? Not true. Or what about, I'm rubber, your glue bounces off me and sticks to you? Those things are not true. Words do stick. And remember that this week as you talk to your classmates and as you play with them on the playground and as you talk to your siblings. How easy is it for us to say things that we would never say to another person, but we would say them to our own brothers and sisters? Teenagers. Your parents are people too. And I know you don't think that, and you think that you can say anything at any time, but words are powerful and they hurt. Social media and technology, we think that because we're on a keyboard hiding behind a screen that we can say anything that we want to say and that our words are less powerful. They're not. Just because we're behind a screen does not mean that we have the right to say anything that we want to say. Words are powerful. Whether they're behind a keyboard or whether it's a text message or a post on social media or whether you speak them. And so how are we using our words this morning? And the best people to determine how you use your words are not the people that you see for a few minutes each week or 15 minutes at church. You know who you ask on whether or not you're using your words to give life? People who know you the best. Ask your spouse, ask your children how you talk to them. See, people who are wise know and own that their words have caused deep wounds to people that they love the most. Words are powerful. Secondly, words are revealing. We're going to steward our words well. We've got to know what they reveal. Look at chapter 4, verse 23 of Proverbs. I'll read the 
NIV, which I love better here, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Everything you do flows from your heart, including your talk. And so look at Proverbs 16, 23. I've read that. Um, It gets at that as well. It's the same thing that Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, for out of the overflow of the mouth, the heart speaks. In other words, the heart moves the tongue. In other words, what comes out of our mouth is not caused by situations and circumstances uh, outside of us. It's caused by the way our heart reacts to those things. The word reveals the heart. I love Paul Tripp. He says, uh, he says uh, this great line. He says, when you say something inappropriate that you shouldn't have said, don't say, I didn't mean to say that. And we do that, don't we? Oh, I, shouldn't, I didn't mean to say that. I really didn't mean it. Paul Tripp says what's more biblical to say is forgive me for saying what I meant. Because if it wasn't in your heart, it would never have come out of your mouth. There's nothing that comes out of our mouth that was not first inside of our hearts. And so simply put, word problems are heart problems. They're not vocabulary problems. They're not technique problems. That's the way we often think about it. We think about the problem of being outside of us, but it's not. We say, if my children would just behave, then I wouldn't get so angry or so upset. Or teenagers say, if my, I had better parents, then I wouldn't get so frustrated with them. If my roommate would just clean up every now and then and not be so messy, then I wouldn't be so angry. We want to blame our words on others, on text messages, on alcohol, on social media posts, on the car that cuts us off in 280. The problem is the Bible says that it's not with our circumstances. Rather, the problem is inside of us. And the situations and the things that people do to us are the heat that simply bring those things that are deep inside of us to the surface. And so when we speak harshly or critically or gossip or we are angry or we speak cynical words, they are signals that something's going on deep inside of us. Insert Martin's excellent sermon on anger a few weeks ago. Everything that comes out of here is a result of something happening inside of us. Perhaps it's that you're embarrassed or insecure or perhaps, then here it is for me, that someone's pushing on your idol of comfort or pushing on your idol of power or control. Could it be the reason why you've never been able to gain control of your words is because you've missed the root. You've missed the real problem which is inside of you. If you want to change the way you talk, You've got to first stop and acknowledge that the problem is inside of you. That you are your greatest communication problem. It's then and only then that you will begin to change the way you talk and the way you use your words. Thirdly, anybody need some good news? Our words need healing. I don't know about you, but when you start thinking very long about the way we have used our words and the way and the things we have said, uh, it can take you to the fetal position very quickly. 
I mean, think about it. Uh, Which of you this morning would be comfortable with me playing publicly right now everything that you have said in the last month? Any takers? I didn't think so. Because who among us this morning have not used our words for our own, as if they belong to us, for our own selfish purposes? Who's not used our words as weapons of anger rather than instruments of peace? Who among us have not used our words to destroy people rather than give life to people? And so that, what do we do? What do we do? Well, we've got to give hope and every, give up hope in everything else. We've got to give up hope in techniques and trying harder and new strategies, and we've got to trust in Jesus. And the first thing we've got to do, if, our, if change starts in the heart, we've got to be captivated by the beauty of Jesus. If word problems are heart problems and our heart needs to be changed, there's lots of ways we could talk about our heart changing, but one of the primary ways it changes is when your heart is captivated by Jesus more than anything else. When Jesus captivates you in his beauty more than the beauty of the idols that you bow down to and adore every single day. Because when that happens, when Jesus becomes more beautiful, then what flows out of our mouth? Beauty and the grace of Jesus flows out of our mouth. Secondly, though, not only do we need to be captivated by the beauty of Jesus, but we need the forgiveness and healing of Jesus. On the cross, Jesus, if you remember, he calls out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And how did the Father respond? Do you remember? Trick question. He didn't respond. (laughs) Did you know Jesus got the silent treatment? Jesus got the silent treatment. The one with whom there was no deceit to be found in his mouth got what we deserved from God because of the way we talk and use our words. And on the cross, Jesus died for the misuse of our words. And not only did he die for the misuse of our words, but he offers forgiveness to you this morning for the misuse of your words. There is no condemnation, Romans 8, 1, for those who are in Christ Jesus. Some of you this morning are haunted by the things that you've said to your spouse, perhaps even this morning. Or the things that you've said to your children or to your parents. There are only two times in the Gospels that we see God's audible, God the Father's audible voice recorded. And one of those is at Jesus' baptism, his son. And you know what he says? You are my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. And so, if you're haunted by the way you use your words like I am, Jesus says to us this morning that your failure with your words does not define you. That that's not your identity. That if you are in Jesus this morning, you are my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. In a similar way, maybe this morning you're sitting here and someone has killed you and destroyed you with their words. And I want to say to you this morning that Jesus is with you in that pain and he enters into that pain with you. You remember Jesus was verbally abused. 
Jesus was deceived. Jesus was mocked with words. And so he knows what it's like to be where you are. And he says to you this morning, that's not who you are. That you are my beloved. And if you belong to me, you, I am well pleased with you. That's not your identity. And some of us have made the things that have been said to us our identity. We've taken on the identity of those things. And Jesus gives you a new identity this morning. You are his beloved with whom he is well pleased. And Jesus promises a day that he is going to come and he's going to make all things new, including our words. There's a children's book, perhaps you've read it, The Boy Who Loved Words. It's a story of a young Jewish boy named Selig. And his peers and his friends collect stamps and coins, but Selig collects words. And he gets words from books and cuts them out and puts them in his pockets and the drawers and the dresser in his room. And he gets words that come out of other people's mouths or irresponsibly out of Uh, in conversations that he hears and he puts all those things together and he stuffs his pockets and bags and puts words anywhere he possibly can. His peers think that Selig is strange. And so they they have a word that they give him and the word is oddball. He takes that and he puts it in his collection of words as well and then he realizes that that actually hurts his feelings. Feelings. Uh, And so he's tired of it. Uh, He's sick of it. And so he takes all of his words and he leaves the city because he doesn't want to have to deal with it anymore. Remember, it's a story. He meets this genie in a bottle. And she tells him that his mission in life is to take his words and to use them for the good of his neighbor. And so Selah gets all of his words and he puts them in a bag. And he goes back into the city And he finds these ways to sneak into different parts of the city. And he starts scattering his words around the city. And so he'll go in front of a bakery and he'll spread words like delicious, fantastic, beautiful, good. There's even a scene when there are neighbors that are fighting and uh, he gives them words like hush and peace and love. As a result, the neighbors start giving flowers to one another. As a result of his words, relationships start to change. People start to fall in love. Businesses start to flourish. And ultimately, an entire city is changed. And Selig is the hero. He's the boy who brings the right word at the right time so that a city is completely healed. That's it. That is a picture of who we are called to be as God's people. As God's people, we are to gather up all the words and we are to march right into the center of our relationships, right into our schools at the lunch table, right into our businesses in team meetings, right into the very heart of the city and into the heart of our families and with our children, and we're to speak life-giving words so that people and places start to flourish and thrive. By the grace of God, we will start to see that happen in our lives. Let's pray.
Father, thank you for giving us the good gift of words. And we need your forgiveness this morning for thinking that words belong to us. Would you forgive us this morning for using our words as a weapon to destroy rather than words that bring peace and healing? Holy Spirit, would you fill fill us now with grace so that we can use our words with wisdom? Holy Spirit, would you anoint our words and our lips uh, so that our words would be sweet and so that they would bring life to the people around us? We thank you for your goodness and generosity that you've shown towards our church, and we ask now that as the ushers come, that you will use these gifts to further your kingdom in Birmingham and around the world. In Jesus' name, amen.